if you're living in your true self, it's almost the exact opposite that happens, right? The false self only lets through pain and and sort of reflects and deflects love. And your true self really only lets through love and only and deflects all of the other stuff. Welcome back to Guild Stories. Um, we'll we'll spare the super long bio because there is one. Uh, Google Brent B. Shore and you'll find it. <laughs> um, but real quick context setting, founder and CEO of Permanent Equity, an amazing Twitter follow, uh, oh, bo- both full of wisdom and humor, which is great. <laughs> uh, wife to Erica and husband to three daughters. Those yeah. are probably the most important bullets. Um, but, but let me, yeah, man, like... Welcome and thank you for hosting us in lovely Columbia. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for driving in. It's always good to see you. Yeah, uh, you too, my friend. Um, who is Brent Bishore? Like, what? How would you answer the like, what's your story question? Give us some context. I know there, you could spend hours telling me that, but um, for those who don't know you, who are you? Yeah, it's interesting. If you would have asked me that question, uh, it would have changed a lot in mm-hmm. my life. And I think that um, when somebody asks, "Who are you?" the first thing that goes to is like, where's your primary identity Mm. rooted? Right. And Mm. so if you'd asked me at 20, I would have, you know, I would have said, Oh, I, you know, here's where I go to college and here's where I went to high school and here's where I grew up. And, you know, if you asked me at 30, I think I would have told you a lot about business endeavors and what I do. And, you know, here's what I do. Um, Hmm. you know, I think at 35, I probably would have talked a lot about my family, I would have talked about, mm. you know, being a dad. I love being a dad. It's a good gig. It's an, it's the best gig ever. <laughs> and uh, a, con- and awesome. a wildly confusing one, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, for sure. Uh, as, as is the rest of life. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, I just turned 40 last week and welcome to, the um, club. thank you. Appreciate it. Um, you know, I would just say, who am I? Like I, I'm trying more and more to lean in on who God says I am. Mm. And, and ultimately, you know, this idea of hmm. humility, you know, which is something I think about a lot. I've, I've struggled with pride a lot of times in my life, uh, continue to. And and the best definition, there's lots of definitions hmm. of pride, right? Hmm. Um, lots of definitions of humility. The, the one that, that really has stuck with me that I think is the best, at least for me, is humility is seeing yourself as God sees you. And so anyway, I'm I'm just I'm trying day by day to see myself as the adopted son of the most high king. Like I mean that's that's kind of the if I can get if I can get that and stay in the middle of that as my identity, then I'm a heck of a lot better father, a lot mm. better husband, a lot better friend, a lot better coworker. If I get outside of that, it 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 almost always means that I'm in my false identity I'm in, in in my false self and and that false self is going to be filled of like competition it's going to be easily angered easily offended easily irritable and I don't show up well when I'm there and so you know I'm I, certainly I'm a father I'm I'm a husband um you know I'm a business owner um I'm a friend, you know, I'm, I'm all these things. I live in Columbia, Missouri, you know, I'm a Midwesterner, but I think, uh, I'm, I think I'm more of all those things when I'm rooted in my relationship with Christ. Mm. Thanks for setting the context. I think it's helpful and, and 
makes the rest of this conversation a lot more clear hmm. in in the significance of what's at stake. We ask this question a lot in our in the like weird marketing meetings we're in. We're like, what's at stake here? Like, hmm. what's on the line? And as you talk about true self, false self, rooted identity, unrooted identity, child of the king versus orphan running around for loose scraps of food. Yeah. Uh, I, I know that story well, too. And uh, walk us through a couple snapshots of like when it's not grounded. What does that, you mentioned competition, things like that. But are there are there lessons you learned along those 20s and 30s years that you're like, eh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, those are interesting and kind of weird and hard. Yeah. I mean, I, to be honest, I wish I wish I didn't keep mm. learning lessons even even frequently, Me too. I mean, you know, more often than I'd like to admit. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think the, for a long time, I didn't know there was a self beyond the false self, right? I mean, you know, for, for those who kind of aren't dialed into the lingo, you know, this idea of true self, false self is, you know, the, the, the true self is, is an unprotected self. And, you know, it's, it's who God made us to be, you know, for me, I think when I'm in that mode, um, I'm lighthearted, I'm, mm. I'm funny, I'm mm. enjoyable to be around. Um, you're grounded, you're connected. Yeah. And I'm yeah. tender, yeah. you know, like yeah. I, like I'm, I'm open hearted mm. and, um, I, I, it naturally patience comes to me. Mm. Naturally, I feel, uh, no anxiety mm. when I'm in that mode. And it's sort of just the exact opposite when I, when I'm at my false self. And so the question is why? why did I operate most of my life in my false self? Um, true self is way better. Mm. Like my life is infinitely better when I'm in my true self than my false self. And it's because mm. our, our true selves, when they're not protected by God, mm. get really easily bruised and cut. And, you know, you know, I was a hardcore atheist in my twenties and, um, I felt very unprotected. I felt very unsafe. I needed to prove myself. I needed to make my mark on the world because, you know, I didn't believe I was somebody underneath sort of mm. all the stuff. There's like this dead zone underneath me and underneath my identity. And so, you know, that, that causes me to look at, you, know, you start looking at people as, as means to, to your ends and not as ends mm. themselves, right? Everyone starts looking like a screwdriver, right? Mm. And, um, screwdriver that you can you know quickly use and and, and toss Discard. aside yeah yeah and so you know i i would say that the, the lessons i learned was that you know um one david foster wallace we all worship something hmm. you know he has this great uh kenyan college speech uh before his for his untimely death and um you know, it's been turned into a book called this is water which i highly hmm. recommend i mean david foster wallace not a not a believer hmm. but was unbelievably uh, empathetic and insightful. I mean, that's what made him an incredible writer. And he was a, you know, Enneagram 4, likely depressive sort of personality and, and ultimately took his own life uh, under the weight of of sort of his nihilism, I think is, is I think it's fair to characterize it like that. Um, a couple interesting biographies out there about him, but he has this unbelievable speech where he, you know, he says it doesn't matter what you worship, you got to worship something beyond yourself. Now, I would argue that's not true. I would argue that you know, uh, worshiping politics or or worshiping uh, consumerism or worshiping your favorite you know 
sports celebrity team, yeah, sports yeah. team whatever it be is is gonna ultimately mm. not give you what your heart is is trying to rest into that but he had this very insightful thing which is you know there in the day-to-day trenches of adult life there is no such thing as atheism and i remember reading that as an atheist and, and, and it was like a it was like a shot across the bow that I, I mean it really got my attention and I started thinking more and more about it and then you start you know at that time I would look at faith I would look at people who were you know quote-unquote religious and I would say oh my gosh come on man like you worship the sky fairy like you know the big daddy in the sky who you know smites people and sometimes gives them gifts you know that that's just not for me right uh, I'm too logical I'm too smart for that That's smart right. people don't don't believe in garbage like that and then you start, you know, you start adjusting your lens. And it's funny, it's like the older I get, the the less I think I know. And so true. You know, no, no one knows more than a 20 year old, mm. right? I mean, I think I've peaked. got a 19 year old, so yes. Whew, yeah. <laughs> and um, I was 20 at one point. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah, I, I mean, I have a lot of empathy I for, get it. For, for 20 year olds. But yeah, I mean, I, I would say that that framework that we're all worshiping mm. something and, and and ultimately our hearts are are restless for something to rest into it really changed the way i looked at the world and you know ultimately it sparked not just that speech but mm. but that and a lot of things sparked this this transformative journey for me of of really trying to understand what is reality what is my purpose i mean it's it's all the you know maybe i had like a quarter life crisis yeah. or a third life crisis but it was you know all of those things that um, you had to figure out and, and ultimately, um, you know, I feel like God rescued me mm. and, mm. um, you know, sanctification is, uh, not a fun process. I would say I, I am deeply appreciative of it, but, but it is, uh, it is brutal and, and realizing that, um, <laughs> you know, it's sort of like this, this false, you, you keep hitting these false mountains where every time oh you, you reach a new level of, um, self-awareness and, humility you're like oh, i finally arrived thank god i'm so good i'm so good <laughs> and i'm so tired of like I'm, i made it to the mountaintop right yeah and then all of a sudden you mm. you tumble off the back of that mountain down into the next valley and mm. realize there's another mountain in front of you and you start hiking up mm. that one and i feel like that's been the process for the last mm. you know eight nine ten years has been this repeated process of mm. uh reaching uh taller mountaintops and then and then uh tumbling down into deeper valleys so <laughs> your metaphor is better than mine though what i used on a walk with my wife a couple weeks ago was i was like man we're like we're on this river and we i turned this bend thinking like ooh, smooth waters ahead just around this corner we just did this like really treacherous pass and i've done a lot of work around fill in the blank which there have been a lot of blanks um it's going to be really smooth after this corner. And I turn the corner, it's like, oh boy, <laughs> there's more work to do. And I, I like, I, I do think though, the perspective of, yeah, but you, you have climbed great mountains. Like you have done great work. You have, you, you did tumble down the backside, but when you look at the whole range, um, you've come a long way in 20 years. And that's really cool. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too, is like, and I think in some ways that analogy is even false as I say it though, mm-hmm. because what I've been learning more and more is my default personality is to work harder, mm-hmm. right? If I, if I want something like you work hard, you go after it, you, you know, you use the analogy, you go, you go hike, you hike hard up that, that next mountain. What I've realized is that, that not surprisingly, God doesn't work the way I would work. 
right? God doesn't give me what I would have wanted at the time. Um, you know, I think Tim Keller's got this great quote. He's like, God doesn't give you what you ask for, mm. but what you would have asked for had you known what he knows. Mm. Had you known his heart. Yeah, had you known his heart. And and for me, I've really had to learn that the only thing I can really do, like the Holy Spirit has to be the one to transform me. Like I am actually powerless to transform myself. I can grit my teeth and I can lose 10 pounds. But as soon as I take my eye off the ball, I'm going to, I'm going to regain the weight. Right. And probably more. Right. Because the unless heart, you use the cold shower trick, unless you use the cold shower trick. <laughs> Sorry. My, my God. It's too much of it's a just, good Twitter debate. Too, I've watched you engage it. <laughs> it's just too good. Um, Sorry. Yeah. Quick aside, you tweeting that, that video of that dude with the, the ripped dude in the mountains with the axe i was like this is just this is just too you gotta good. have fun oh, i was it was, I was so fun i was poking the uh poking the uh, health bros on twitter so. um <laughs> there's a lot of great a lot of great health bros out there um, Carry on, I yeah no no so i think this this uh-huh. idea of of surrender is really the only thing that we're responsible for mm. you know god gives us free will and it's it's not an illusion it's, it is free will. And and by definition, there's no love if there's not free will because, you know, you, you can't be forced to love your captive, mm. right? Mm. Or your captor. Mm. And so this free will, God respects the boundary always mm. of what you're willing to open yourself up to. And I think that's something that the more I have strived to um, overcome my sin, overcome my flesh, um, change myself, um, the more that God shows me, hey, you will change, but it's actually not you doing the changing. I'm going to slowly mold you and shape you to be more like Jesus over time. And resting into that and knowing that, you know, we have a, a good, good father who loves us more than we love ourselves, who sees us, who knows us, who's working all things out for our good and his glory. It's the most restful thing. You know, if I actually believe that minute to minute, I can... I can stay in my true self and know that I'm protected. As soon as that identity and and, and that understanding, as soon as I lose the plot, hmm. man, my false self is is it's is gonna come it in go away. and it's gotta just it just clumps on, yes, right? Sir. So quickly yes, and it builds on itself. And so yeah, I mean I, I would say hmm. um at forty I've never been more optimistic about the future, but not because hmm. I've figured it out, but because I'm the only thing I have figured out is that I need to continually, day by day, mm. surrender more and more. And I, every time I think I've surrendered fully, mm. God shows me the areas in my life that I haven't surrendered, I didn't even know existed. Mm. And I think that's the, that's the process of sanctification. Mm. It's good, man. And it triggers my mind to, we've got a mutual friend, his name's Gary. Hi, Gary. He's amazing. Um, and I think you shared this resource with him, or at least maybe talked to him about this John Mark Comer series. Yeah. And Gary shared with me, and we've been talking about it this last week or so. And what's interesting, as I hear you discuss your journey, is the awareness and experience of the love of God. Huge piece, obviously. Yeah. And what's equally true is the awareness and experience of your own journey the psychological part and neither heavy lean one or the other can be quite dangerous and has been at times and so i'm wondering as you've entered your 40s welcome to the club like we said (laughs) um it is a weird but good club the 
the self-awareness part and the psychological, the understanding of the things that you do at default or at health or, and for my own piece, you know, I was 36, my, my inner house of cards had kind of crumbled. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, uh uh-oh, what's going on inside here? I had lots of head knowledge about God and could say lots of great things and, and, and even did experience wonderful things. But then all of a sudden this cavern kind of opened up and I was like, wait, and I asked this, my therapist, I was like, man, what is happening? I feel unhinged and undone. Yeah. And and he used a phrase that you used, which I love, is he's like, the call is to live undefended. And I was like, huh? <laughs> At first, I was like, what? I, that doesn't feel like a tactic I can use to better myself. And and it's, but it is that, that is the road, the road to surrender, the road to undefendedness. Um and my goodness, after I learned that language, I started to see how defended I was in lots of areas of my life and how covered up I was and how scared I yeah. was and how self-protected I was. And that and my meandering point way to the question for you is that presented to me as anxiety. Yeah. And that sucked. Yeah. <laughs> that was a that was an experience I had in my late 30s. I was like, no, dude, I'm happy. I'm good. I, I like I'm I'm kind of crushing it things are good mm. and then that thing erodes and and, and and exposed the scared little boy and i was like what do i do with him yeah well i mean so so let's talk about you know what is underneath anxiety i mean an- anxiety is in some ways an unknown fear mm. of of what may happen or what may come or for me it was an it was sort of an unknown of who I, who I was. That's right. And so, you know, I have this thing now that I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trying to live by this framework of like fully known, fully loved, nothing to fear, nothing to hide. Hmm. That's good. Fully known, fully loved, nothing to fear, nothing to hide. Hmm. How many people do you know that live like that? Not a lot. Yeah. There's, there's not a lot. There's not many. And, and I think it's, there's not many because it's brutally difficult and you open yourself up to a lot of pain and suffering, a lot of disappointment, but the only thing that can protect you if you, if, if you want to go down that path is the love of God, right? If, if you can put your, your, your back to God. And like I said, I'm learning to do this. I'm, this Same. is not like, I'm not a master t- talking about this. It's the only thing that I've, that I've found that, that will actually work though, is resting in who he says I am. And that being enough, that ultimately providing the security. So then I can go to people, I can go to him first and say, you know, I already know you, you fully know me and you love me, right? That's the basis of it. And there's no fear because the, the victory's already won, like the history's done, right? It just hasn't happened yet. It's already, but not yet. And there's nothing to, nothing to hide because like he knows everything, right? Um, so that like, that's the basis of relationship. Now, can, can, I give myself fully to anyone, including my wife. I can't right now. I hope someday I can. I can't right now. But I can give her, as an example, as the person closest to me in my life, I can give her a tremendous amount more of me. And and as, as I do that, when, when I was wearing when I was wearing masks, and you know, that false self, there's a lot of these analogies using yeah, you know, yeah. wearing masks, false self. What you were experiencing, I think the same thing, which is hmm. If you know you're not presenting the real you and you're not fully known, then then when people tell you, like my wife would tell me, oh man, I love you so much. I'm so proud of you. 
You know what the first thing we go off in my head was? If she. If she knew. <laughs> if she. If yes. she knew. Yes. If she really knew me, she wouldn't mm. say that. Mm. So nothing could hit my heart mm. that was an encouragement. Mm. The only thing that would actually penetrate through, and it would go real quick, would be the painful things. Mm. And she the would say shameful things. The shameful yeah, things, right. right? And so... Yeah, shame knows no filter. Yeah, and, mm. and, and so, you know, I, I feel like that... that if you're living in your true self, it's almost the exact opposite that happens, mm. right? The false self only lets through pain and and sort of reflects and deflects love. And your true self really only lets through love mm. and only and deflects all of the other stuff. Mm. So like I am almost unoffendable when I'm in my true self. I'm not worried about who's right, who's wrong. Mm. I'm completely comfortable in my own skin. Mm. I'm like... That's great. Hmm. Yeah, tell me. I mean, so you're 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 upset with me. I'm sorry. You're upset with me. Yes. You know, you disagree with me. That's great. I'd love to learn if I'm wrong. That's right. Right. No worries at all. When I'm in my false self, I need to be right. Hmm. I have to be right because my identity. Otherwise, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. Yeah. My identity yeah. is based on being hmm. right. Hmm. You know. So I think it's the you know it's hmm. the beautiful journey of like over time. What I'm hoping, and I, I've seen this trajectory. It's it's hmm. again it's two steps forward, one step back. It's sliding you know back down the the other side of the mountain, all those analogies of, but I hope over time I can live more and more in my true self and, mm. and, and shed the heavy itchy coat of <laughs> false self. It's so good. So good, man. How does that framework and orientation carry into you, what you do from nine to five proverbially and, and tell us what you do from nine to five. What is this business that you own? <laughs> this mysterious, uh, studio we sit in, in Columbia, uh, PS real quick side note. I rolled into Columbia about an hour early and I talked to our friend Gary and he was like, where'd you go? Booches? I was like, no man, I'm so embarrassed. I went to Panera. Mm. <laughs> I know. So speaking of speaking of shame, speaking of shame, shame, um, shame. But it but it is a it is a wonderful city. I love this town. I went to college here. We had our first two daughters here. Sent them a picture of Boone Hospital as I drove up the hill. Um, (laughs) But yeah, tell us about this space and what you're doing in this amazing old house. Yeah, we. I, I joke that I'm a Forrest Gump of private equity. I, you know, I've never taken a finance <laughs> class in my life. Um, I can barely open up Excel. Um, in fact, the joke is if you want to send me something I won't read, like send it in Excel. Um, never worked at another firm. I, I truly <clears throat> fell backwards into into private equity. And so we, um, <clears throat> I, bought a, I bought a business. I was an entrepreneur at a law school, law and MBA. <clears throat> bought a business uh, as a result of sort of a fluke introduction took an SBA loan, asked my newly married wife to sign a personal guarantee. She's like, what's that? I'm sure. Like, oh, don't worry about it. I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. <laughs> um, and, and, and mm-hmm. you know, at the time I was an enemy of God. I, I, um, gosh, man, mm. I was so angry and lost and, and, um, I so desperately wanted mm. to be somebody. And then, you know, how, how God treated me is the exact opposite of how I would treat me. Mm. I would have smited me. I needed to be smited. I was, uh, I, I was a punk and arrogant and, um, and instead, God gave me like kind of mm. everything and more that I ever dreamed of to make me realize that that was not it. Mm. Um, so I ended up, you know, l- like late twenties, having a, a thriving business, feeling empty inside. Told my wife I didn't love her. Um, mm. Just brutal, you know. Mm. And um, you know th- that process. So, so we, I mean, to zoom back out, what mm. we actually do, we 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 partner with buy companies mm. that are smaller-ish family-owned businesses. I mean, when I say small, they're 
you know, call it 30 to 350, 400 employee businesses uh, all across the country. Um, we um, try to help them be better, hmm. be bigger. Uh, we hold them indefinitely. We use no debt. Um, we're a much kinder, gentler version of, of private equity. In many ways, the opposite of traditional yeah. private yeah, equity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so that, yeah, that's what I do, uh, you know, nine to five. I, I would say um, everything in my life, I got into it for the wrong reasons, like all the foundational pieces <laughs> in my life. So I, um, I married my wife because she was hot. <laughs> um, I'm just being honest, right? Like, uh, she was like the I called her the sexy scientist for a year before I That's asked her. Awesome. Out. She was she was like the one really hot girl in the hard sciences, <laughs> and for some reason that was like attractive to me. Um, and uh, anyway, I started getting into to doing what I do now because I wanted to get rich. Mm. Mm. And you know it's interesting how God has transformed my heart over time. I mean, uh, look if we do if we do what we mm. say we're going to do and we do it well, we we get paid well to do it. Um, mm. Shouldn't, it's not surprising. We sit at the nexus of a lot of resources, hmm. a lot of people's livelihoods on the line. Um, so you're going to do well, hmm. and you're also going to do very not well if you don't if you don't do well. Yeah. <laughs> you hmm. know, so it's a high, high yeah. risk, high yeah. reward type yeah. situation. Um, but you know what? What God's really done is you know transform my marriage hmm. from you know I married the hot girl. I still think she, I mean she's beautiful, <laughs> but like, but you know my 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 marriage is now not based on attractiveness. It's based on. It's weird. Um, there's depth there too. Deep, yeah. deep respect, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, I deeply yeah. respect my wife mm. and admire her, and um, she's my favorite person in the mm. world, right? Mm. Um, and the business is kind of the same way. Mm. So I would say, as I got into it because I wanted to get rich, and um, made made good money, and realized mm. that that wasn't going to be the thing, and so you know, thankfully for a long time, mm. haven't been working for the money. Um, it's definitely a scorecard. I mean, it's not the scorecard, sure. but it's a scorecard. But um, yeah, I love the fact that we get to help families and, and not just a, mm. a seller's family, not just taking care of the people who you know own the majority of the equity at the business, but all the families that are connected to it. I mean, you know, we take mm. deep responsibility over people's livelihoods. Um, we're trying to help families flourish mm. and we use money uh, investment dollars as a mechanism to be able to engage with mm. families. Mm. It's a tool. And uh, I think that's very dissimilar from how most people look at the private equity business. I would say most people would say we're trying to take dollars and turn them into more dollars. And of course, mm. you know, we have, we have investors in us. We're trying to help them grow their capital, we're trying to generate a good return, but that's actually not the thing we're doing. We're not. That's not the. That's not the ultimate end goal. It will result from the end goal. But the, the end goal is actually to serve the families that we get to get involved with. Um, and so yeah. So we we have manufacturing businesses, uh, construction businesses, um, niche services. I mean, all kinds of different types of businesses across the country. And um, got a great team here in Columbia, Missouri. I'm uh, grateful that they keep me on the team. Let me work here. <laughs> I'm smiling because I, uh, yeah, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> and man, I'm I'm like catapulted back to 18 months ago when you were generous and gracious, and I think it's a theme I'm going to come back to in a bit, around, man, your spirit's just in that true self sense. Um, you're a generous, open guy. Mm-hmm. And, and we talked for 15 minutes, and you're like, hey, man, on the phone. I'll never forget where I was because I was in pain. I was like mm-hmm. kind of floundering. Not kind of. I was floundering and from a business standpoint. I was just like, I need some help. And this guy, Clyde Lear, who's my mentor, I was like, Clyde, I need I need you to tell me what to do. 
He's like, you need to go talk to Brent. I was like, awesome. Will he meet with me? We talked and you're like, hey, we need to spend a few hours together, which in this like fast Twitter world and hey, you know, Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting, like this frenetic pace that we all are in. It, it was this like refreshing sentence of like, wait, a few hours, like actual space to talk and understand nuance and context and depth. And this dude's super busy. Like, why the hell would he give me th- a couple hours, right? Came here. I got to hear your story. You got to hear mine. We walked to lunch. And I'll never forget it, man. You were like, hey, um, once you once you make all that money that you're chasing, you'll realize it won't be enough. It won't be what you wanted it to be. And I was like, frankly... Part of my thought process was like, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, and I still want to make all. Yeah, like I would love to have the problem. <laughs> I, 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 I think it's for for people like the stage of business we're building, and people that are on the on maybe the first, the not the life mountain analogy, but the like build a business analogy, and they're both good night. They're both related. Um, what was it about the? Eh, the money didn't solve the thing, and I'm I'm referencing you even tweeted a, a Kevin Durant phrase lately yeah. or fra- uh, quote lately. What is that moment when you're like, eh, the Super Bowl trophy wasn't enough? <laughs> the yeah. big amount of money I thought would make me happy wasn't it? Yeah, I mean the lie is that that it, it is it, and I mean this is the definition of of an idol where we take something that's a good thing and we make it an ultimate thing. And I mean, we are idol making factories, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's almost without exception. We can make idols out of almost anything. Right. Um, you know, I have a, I have a friend who, who, uh, uh, says, you know, for some people it's money, for Hmm. some people it's porn, for Hmm. some people it's church, Hmm. but whatever that thing is, you can turn into an idol. It's Hmm. not going to be, it's not going to be it. Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I would just say is I was, grateful i am grateful that god gave me the opportunity to experience a level of success that i never thought i would and my expectations weren't huge i mean i'm in columbia missouri right so it's like it's a beautiful thing about expectations <laughs> keep keep them low and then they can potentially be exceeded but, be shattered um but you know i experienced a level of success in my in my late 20s that was um that was shocking to me mm. and i kind of had this moment of like i can kind of do mm. whatever i want you know, I can travel where I want. I kind of can buy within reason whatever I want. Mm. Um, great. This is going to be awesome. Mm. And it just wasn't. Like I, I woke up without that without that thing to chase. I woke up and I was like, what is my purpose then? If I'm not chasing that thing, then then who am I? And I think that's when I mm. when I when I read these quotes from Madonna. Right. When I read quotes from Kevin Durant, when I read quotes from Jim Carrey. I mean, there are lots and lots and lots mm. of people. Most people won't talk about it. Right. Because they're still in that struggle That's of right. like the, the deep depression that comes. And and by the way, most people never get out of that. Like the irony is That's right. so many people in life are are desperately climbing the mountain to never reach it thinking that that the, that's the mountain that the mountain <laughs> yeah, is the right mountain to be climbing mm. and and it's in the climbing that they find mm. meaning mm. but they never actually reach the peak to realize that they mm. the, the, the journey was meaningless mm. right mm. and then there are a lot of people who reach the mountaintop mm. and are just so disillusioned that you know it's really easy to turn to nihilism and and hedonism mm. and um you know say hey well you know let's eat mm. and drink and be merry for tomorrow mm. we die um 
And I've seen a lot of very successful people go through. I mean, people call that like the midlife crisis or whatever it is. It's just a loss of meaning. And and look, a loss of meaning doesn't occur because you experience overwhelming pain and sort of become numb to it. Meaningless occurs because you experience pleasure and become numb to it. Like if you actually look at where people lose meaning, it's usually not, especially in the Western world, especially mm. right now, a loss of meaning is not the result of deprivation. It's a it's an affluenza mm. in almost every way, mm. right? I mean, if you look at the, it's incredibly tragic and I've got three young daughters. Mm. If you look at the rate of teen suicide, suicidal thoughts, suicidal planning, Dude. depression. Off the charts. It has gone parabolic. And it is not the result of a whole bunch of teenage girls being deprived of anything. Nope. I got three teenage girls that share my last name. It is a, it is, they are in the shittiest of storms. Right. In, in terms of all of what you're saying. Yeah. And, and it is a real deal, man. And the solution isn't obvious. Mm. I mean, the solution is. They've got to they've got to find the thing that their heart can rest in, and it's not going to rest in attention from boys, and it's not going to it's not going to be able to rest in um, a career, and it's not going to be able to rest in their bank account. It's not going to be able to rest in having the perfect house with the, you know, whatever the thing is or kids. I mean, everyone though has to kind of go through that journey, and and you know, I didn't believe. When other people told me that, sure. that when you reach the mountaintop, it's not going to be enough. I had to, I had to reach myself, and so I don't have any. I don't begrudge anybody who hmm. listens to this and, and rolls their eyes and says, "Well, yeah, a, cu- a couple rich guys getting together talking about how how money isn't the thing. Like, isn't that cute, right?" Hmm. I'm just telling you, like, hmm. when you reach hmm. it, it may be enough for a little while. It's hmm. kind of like getting a raise at work. It's like, oh man, look at hmm. that, feels so great, and then two months later, you're like, I still hmm. hate my job. Hmm. Like the money just quickly hmm. evaporates. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is the age-old question. Hmm. And I think, you know, if you have not wrestled with this, I would encourage you to start the process before you need hmm. to. Um, it's going to make it's gonna make a lot easier and you can bypass a lot of the pain. I was not prepared for hmm. it. Hmm. And um, my life, if God had not rescued me, my life would not have gone, hmm. uh, would have not gone like this. When you've seen, when you've been at that, that table, proverbially, and maybe physically, um, of helping a family flourish. I loved your language. It's so good. Money isn't bad. It's not like, oh my gosh, like we've got this money, right? But but the the purpose piece, when you've seen the good parts, the abundant flow, the generosity of resource transform and, and help something flourish, what comes to your mind? Are there stories, are there people, are there companies that you're like, oh my gosh, this thing... This is meaningful. This was purposeful. This is why we do this. Yeah. I mean, there are, it's, you know, I'm so protective of, of I'm course, willing to, I'm willing to put myself out there. I'm so of course, protective of, of course. people that I, that I work with and that I um, work for. I would say, look, m- money, as you said, money is, is not a bad thing at all. Biblically. I mean, mm. money is a tool. Money is a good thing. A gift from God. Like it's, it's when we turn it into mammon, right? You know, God says you can't worship a lot of the translations say you can't worship money and God. It's actually, it's not just money. It's mammon is this idea mm. of worldly success. You can't worship what the world says is right and true, mm. which is beauty, success, money, youth, 
It's mm. all this stuff tied together. Like that is mammon. So when I look at, you know, the flourishing of, of, of people, you know, we try to treat them not only the way that we would want to be treated, but in a way that will encourage them to extend that mm. flourishing out to their friends, their family, take it home with them. Now, do we fail a lot? Heck yeah. Do we apologize? <laughs> You're human. Do we apologize a lot? Yes. Welcome absolutely. to humanity. Yeah, yeah. we do. Um, have there been stories? Yes. We, we actually, I mean, the one that comes to mind is um, we had acquired a company uh, a number of years ago. Um, somebody who um, had worked at the company left shortly after we had acquired it and ended up coming back to work for the company mm. and made this really interesting offhand comment one day said, yeah, I was shocked at what I came back to and how different the company was than when I left. And it felt like a transformation had occurred. Mm. And I kind of really like what, you know, what do you mean? Say more. Us, Cause I mean, honestly yeah. it's hard to do day to day. It's kind of like watching your kids yeah, grow. For it's sure. like, do you notice that they've grown? Yes. But like day to day, they don't look any taller. For they sure. They don't look any different. For sure. So for us, it's hard because we're so close to it. We're so in it with these companies that it's it's hard for us to see. And what this person was able to do is over a three-year mm. period, they were able to step back. They you know left the company. They worked for somebody else. Mm. And they came back and were like, whoa, the, the people who were leading the company had fundamentally changed. Mm. Now, I'm not going to say they fundamentally changed only because of us. But, but you know, look, like when somebody, are, are we from time to time get really sideways with the people who mm. run the companies that we that we ultimately are the stewards of. And it's an opportunity for us when things are going great, mm. wonderful. We all celebrate together. It's great. Mm. When things aren't, it's an opportunity for us. And it's how are we going to treat them in that moment? Mm. And how we do is going to instruct them about how they treat people in the same in the same sense. Mm. And so over time in this particular company, there's a lot of conflict, mm. a lot of misunderstandings, a lot of hurt feelings. Mm. And I think so over you're saying time, it's messy. Yeah, so messy. <laughs> Title man. of your book. Yeah. 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 There's a reason why we named it the messy marketplace. <laughs> yeah. It, it's messy. And, and I think over time, what mm. we were able to do was to, to show them that you could disagree and be respectful, mm. that you could listen to the other person. You didn't have to be right. That you could apologize when you were wrong. Mm. Um, that you sure. could keep your, keep your head uh, amongst difficult, stressful situations. Mm. And so, look, we're trying to model it. Uh, we, we, we find companies that have different cultures. So, you know, when we're acquiring company, it'll be 40 years old, 50 years old, mm. 80 years old. There's a lot of stories There's in those years. There's a lot years. of stories yeah. and a lot of baggage that yeah. comes with that. Good yeah. baggage and bad baggage. Yeah, that's Not right. just all bad baggage. But, that's right. But a lot of good things, a lot of good momentum, mm. great relationships, great brand, mm. um, if we do it right. Mm. And then, but there is the negative of, hey, we've done things mm. the same way for a long time. Why have you done them? Because that's how we do them, right? There's a lot of... Um, the bad habits that have been learned over time mm. that we're trying to understand and trying to um, help them look past. Mm. And and by the way, change is hard mm. because change always means it affects people and people don't like to be affected, no, no matter if it's good or not. Mm. And oftentimes, even when people know it's good change, there will be just a, it's a human nature, yeah, a man. sense of animosity towards the person causing the change. And so we just know that we deal with mm. it. We try to be humble about it. We try not to get our feelings hurt. Again, all this is try. Yeah, <laughs> uh, try being the operative word. Right. And and when we do get our feelings hurt, we we apologize. Mm. We try to be open and honest about it. I love that. When when I, I imagine, and we're running 
wildly different businesses, but you've been a beautiful guide for me and a helpful guide on, on, on our journey. How have your affections changed towards this quest that you set out to ultimately, you know, the beginning to use your words or hey, I'm going to start this thing to get rich. You're could, because I know you somewhat deeply, you're a fan from what you've shared. Your affections have changed for your people yeah. and, and for their good and for their development. How do you, uh, and, and maybe this is unpaid therapy from you uh, to me, um, just lean back. It'll all be okay. <laughs> this couch is so comfy. Yeah. Um, when you're balancing leadership principles or, or practices or character, and you lead with vulnerability, with your own awareness, with your own, hey, guys, I don't know. I'm a little afraid here. I don't know if this will go the way, or I'm pissed at this thing, whatever. When yeah. you lead with vulnerability versus, and it's not an either or, it's not a black and white or the and the carrying of another's burden um how do you how do you process that because for me that's attention and to kind of go hey shoulder the load we'll get through it and the 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 responsible vulnerability piece what you're saying being fully known um how do you process that as ceo of a thing um well, maybe this, this answer is going to be probably unexpected. I, I would say I think there's real damage to be done by transparency. Mm. And I would argue there's this whole movement of radical transparency. The, the problem with it, radical transparency, I think, is good for the person being transparent. So I think that the, the way the grain of the universe is sunlight is the best disinfectant, gets stuff out in the open, it mm. loses its power, um, bad things grow mm. in darkness, mm. right? So just by the nature of getting things out, it's gonna make you feel better. It's like a cleansing mm. that occurs. It's true, yeah. The problem with that mm. is too often radical transparency is, is self-focused. It is, it is about, I have a feeling, I have, um, I have a need, and you are forcing everyone around you to meet that need. Mm. Um, that's not healthy for the people mm. around you. Um, and it can quickly turn into a bludgeon. That's right. And so it's good. What I, what I would prefer instead of transparency is, um, thinking what is for the good of the other. So when, when I find myself at my best is when I'm not focused on me, mm-hmm. you know, something like the eye of Sauron, right? Like, you know, Lord of the Rings. Mm. It's like when that eye is, is pointed at myself, you know, all I can think about is me mm. and my needs. And it's like an inflamed ego. It's like a, <laughs> it's, it's sort of the touch. Right. Mm. And so I think if the filter you use is look, I, I want to be, I want to lead. I don't want to lead with vulnerability because somehow being vulnerable is the ticket to everything. I think vulnerability just creates an opportunity for real relationships and for real meaning. Mm. It's not the end in itself. I mean, the, the purpose is not, okay, hey, let's get vulnerable together. Does that sound good? Right? I mean, it's kind of like weird, like, <laughs> so okay, weird. man, like, but you've met people like this, oh, right? Oh, my God. Like, who's like, who's like their oh. thing is vulnerability, and you meet them, and they're like telling you That's some weird much. thing that you're like, yeah. but it's not for your yeah. good. Yes. That's what I'm saying. Is yes. It's not, it's so yes. the test has to be. So good, what man. am I sharing with somebody that's for their good? Mm. And I think there's plenty of times, mm. I can't tell you how many times I have said, Hey, I know you're struggling with this because I've struggled with this Mm. and I want to be an encouragement to you. Mm. And this is where a little bit like, I don't want to go 
you know, I'm, I'm a, a Presbyterian, like I, I'm not charismatic. Like I joke sometimes that like Tim Keller's my Pope, right? <laughs> like, so, but, but I don't want to get too charismatic, but like, this is where the Holy Spirit for me, um, asking to see things about mm. people and asking for their good, not so I can mm. use it for my good. That's right. That's not how God works. God blesses us to be a blessing. So if I feel the love of God, mm. I can reflect the love of God mm. to others. If I don't feel that love of God, I can't. I can't give away something that I don't have. Mm. So ultimately the test has to be when I when I get into a room with somebody, how can I encourage them? How can I be thoughtful towards them? And oftentimes a tool to be able to do that to, for encouragement is to share in their burdens, is to share in their burdens through experiences I've had that mimic experiences they've had. Um, but for God's sakes, don't mm. don't bludgeon people with radical transparency. Mm, it's wise, man. Thank you for it's such a such a beautiful, such a beautiful answer. And so that, and I can only imagine the team, including David, who is so helpful to get us going here. The team, there is also a radical benefit from that style. Like to to see others flourish, whether that's your clients or your team or your people or your partners, like that mindset, um, is just really good. There's no question here. It's just an affirmation of like, my gosh, it's good. Yeah. Here's the thing. I, I feel a little fraudulent. Yeah, that is the heart behind. What of I course. Have. Of course. I would say it's it's not an infrequent experience for me to walk in the office with anxiety. And, you know, as a friend recently mm. told me, he's like, hey, you cast a lot of atmosphere around you. And mm. that's a heavy burden, right? Like if, if mm. the people around me rise and fall based on my mood and outlook, like that's a mm. that's that's something that's tough, a little bit tough to swallow, right? Mm. I'm still kind of dealing with this. Um, it's actually something I, I talked to Gary about, our, mm. our mutual friend, a couple of times. So I don't want to give the impression that like I'm some uh, shrewd ray of sunshine that, that walks around <laughs> blessing people all day. It's just not the case. Um, so often I find myself um, acting out of my false self and not mm. being the kind, generous person that I want to be. So I just don't want, I don't want to set false no, expectations. No, 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 of course. And like, I don't want to, I mean, you know, if you ask David, um, gosh, I wish we could pull him in here and ask him. It's like, you know, I think he would say that permanent equity is a, is a great place to work. Mm. I think he would say he loves the people that are here and we have attracted, we've selected mm. for an amazing group of people who care deeply mm. about each other uh, and, and, and want to do something together that's, that's really special. And I think that are. I would say he, you know, we're not perfect, mm. and 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 a lot of the problems start with me. I still have pride issues. I mean, I, I'll joke Dude. Um, to tell you tell you a quick a quick story or two. Um, when I was not a believer, I had a, a friend who was like, "Oh, hey, I've been reading this book. I think it'd be really helpful for you. you know, I got your copy. It's no big deal if you don't want to read it. You know." And I looked at the book, and it was the title of it was humility. <laughs> You know, it's kind of like it's kind of like, oh, I got you this diet book. You know, it's nothing to do with your weight or anything like or that. Or your but, French you know, fry habit. Yeah, but, exactly. I mean, but you know, I just thought it would be a good fit. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, that's weird. And I like mm. threw it in the back seat of my car, and I was like, oh, I'm never gonna read that. And about two weeks later, I, um, mm. a wonderful, godly woman, um, she's just for my family. Her and her husband came over for dinner, and she wrapped her arms around me. And she came in the door, and she was like, I've just been thinking about you, and I got this book for you. Mm. And I think you should read it. I think it would, you know, it, it's been really helpful for me. I think it'd be helpful for you. And it was the same damn book, Humility. Mm. And I was like, woo, all right, that is a spicy enchilada. <laughs> so that was 10 years ago. Uh, and, and by the way, that book uh, mm. was fantastic uh, and helped 
opened my eyes to, mm. to sort of what I would call unrefined pride that I had experienced then. And over time, you know, my pride has gotten more refined. And so, uh, you know, you find yourself being proud of your humility, you know, mm. like that's you know, major blinking warning signs. And uh, so re- recently I uh, was asked to speak at a Christian investor conference in, uh, in Silicon Valley, unbelievable, awesome guy who, who ran the conference. And uh, I had no idea what I was to speak on as a panel discussion. Mm. He said, okay, hey, you know, I want to grab you before the, the thing starts. I want to talk to you a little bit about what I you know, kind of envisioned for the panel. He's like, you guys are leading off the day. So it's important you set the tone. And he's like, okay, we got the guy who mm. made a bunch of money, screwed up his life, bought a bunch of stuff, engaged in materialism, destroyed his life. Like he's the kind of the money guy. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And he's like, all right. And we got the, we got this guy who, you know, unbelievably successful, got caught soliciting prostitutes um, you know, destroyed his family, destroyed his life. He's the sex guy. He's a, a, a and I was like, sex guy. What am I? Wait, wait, wait. That's I'm the being money guy. set up. That's the sex guy. <laughs> and he was like, okay, so for you, uh, and I was like, I feel like, anxious just, for you. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I'm like leaning forward. I'm like cringing. I'm sweating. And he's like, he's like, so I want you to talk about pride. And I'm like, oh gosh, oh, sweet. Can anyway. I, can I maybe talk about money instead? Yeah, exactly. I was like, can I be the, can I be the money guy? Um, anyway, um, oh, it's just, it's just, it's funny yeah. because, um, you know, he, he was super gracious and I mean, uh, um, he had heard me talk on, on mm. my struggles with, with pride and, and, um, desiring more humility before. And that's why he asked mm. me, up. but, but it was funny because I said in front of the stage and I'm like, you know, of all the people in the room, I'm the guy here to talk to you about pride. Right? Yeah, it's awesome. But I think it's true. And, and I think that that, I, you know, the struggles, I think this side of, of, mm. um, this side of heaven, like it's just, it's not, mm. you, we're going to have the same struggles. I think that, that God, again, allows us to become more and more aware mm. of areas that are under surrendered. And, and I'm finding all the time opportunities to learn and grow. So mm. to give an accurate picture is a major work in progress. <laughs> well, that, that you are a work in progress is also good evidence that you're doing the work. And I love that. And I appreciate you sharing. Three quick ones. I know we got to wrap. Um, We're fine. I'm good. Okay. I want to hear you, you're, you're, uh, I think you joked about this, but it was one of my entry points to you. Um, that Forbes will, will, you will go down in infamy as the guy who, who said all businesses are loosely functioning disasters. <laughs> yes. As you eye roll me. Yes. How have you, evolved that thinking or is that still true for you and and what do you and and maybe probably my deeper question actually is um what is it about business that is a transformative effect on these mountains we're walking through meaning like what what and maybe the most concise way i can say it is like what's the most rewarding part about this for you yeah so the the full quote is uh, all businesses are loosely functioning disasters and some happen to make money. <laughs> and I, I would say uh, that is accurate and uh, I am standing pat and firm on that. Um, I'm on, glad you on, are, man. On that definition. Yes, that may be my one enduring uh, c- contribution to humanity. Um, I, I think it's funny. It, it's funny because it's true, right? People, people resonate with it because mm. if you have, if you're 22 years old and you just got into business, you're like, that doesn't resonate at all. Like, I don't understand. Like, wh- whatever. It's like if you're 40 or you're 35 and you've been in in a business environment for 10 or 15 years, it's a freaking bloodbath. It is yeah. so hard. Yes. It is so hard and it's just so messy and so mm. um I've never seen an organization that has it together. I've never seen it. I'm sure there are some somewhere somehow, 
but I don't understand if you're pushing the boundaries, if you're trying to grow, if you're trying to reach more, serve more, do more, like it's just going to be messy. Um, so, um, what is the rewarding, what is the most rewarding aspect of that mess playing in that mess? And I would just say it's the people that I get to interact with. I mean, Mm. I, 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 I love people and they drive me crazy. Mm. Right. And mostly drive me crazy because I see the things in them that most bother me about me. Like it's not, that is the answer. Yes. Yeah. We never, we never get upset. This is, you know, somebody, somebody once told me a a great friend of mine, his name's John Marsh, Opelike, Alabama, and such a wise, Mm. kind, generous human. And he, he, he said this to me. It was like, I mean, when I talk about lightning bolt, there's been a few moments in my life where I feel like God has directly spoken to me. Mm. And I feel like through him, he said this and he was like, Brent, you realize that the only thing that gets cut and that bleeds is your flesh. That's the only thing. So if you're experiencing a pain, if you're experiencing something where you're you're sorrowful, you're heavy about, it's just your flesh being cut. Mm. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're mm. right. And this gets back to you know false self, true self, all mm. this stuff. And so, yeah, the most rewarding thing is being able to help, co-create, participate mm-hmm. with people i mean people mm-hmm. are it it's not people are not cogs in the wheel the mm-hmm. whole thing is about people and as soon as and i often forget this mm-hmm. right i often i get goal induced blindness i want to win a deal i want to solve a problem mm-hmm. and again people start looking like objects and as soon as that <laughs> happens i've lost the plot mm-hmm. i don't know who god is i don't know who i am i don't know what my purpose mm-hmm. is i am operating in my false self i do not know who I am, where I am, why I am. Hmm. And as soon as that happens, I am in the danger zone of hurting people uh, of a lot of collateral damage. And, and now I've started Hmm. to see blinking warning signs of that. You know, I can now see, you know, competition for me. So like I grew up in, in, in an environment that competition was encouraged. It was a, it was a positive thing like to compete. You compete for sure. You win, right? What do winners do? Winners win, right? For sure. And Second place is the first loser. Yeah. No fear. Exactly. Have yeah. no fear. Just go go for it. And so, you know, I had that so deeply ingrained in me. Hmm. And, and what I've realized is the first blinking warning sign for me of my false self kicking in is competition. I feel hmm. competitive with whoever I'm with. And it can be weird. I can feel competitive with my wife about who's the better parent. Hmm. I can feel competitive with friends about who's hmm. the better friend. I'm not even just talking about games. I mean, golly, yeah, yeah. don't get me on the tennis court or the, you know, um, shoot, even a recent um, <laughs> recent episode with some great friends of mine. We were playing dominoes and I got heated <laughs> over dominoes, right? I mean, like, who in the world? You talk about losing the plot, right? Like, get a couple drinks in me and mm-hmm. have me play dominoes and you see who really comes out, right? Um, There's that Enneagram 3. Yeah, well, there it is. You're right. Yeah. So, so I think Which is so beautiful. But I think that's, yeah. the, that's the thing is, like, I think God yeah. gives us these gifts of of pain and looking like a fool mm. in order to show us areas that are unsurrendered and unsanctified. Mm. And it's ultimately like, do we believe in his promise that, that he works all things out for our good and his glory? And if that's true, then he even works through our sin and mm. even our sin passes through his fingers, mm. which is kind of crazy. And I'm sure I'll get some hate mail for saying it, but there's actually a, a, a great book out there um, by a woman named Barbara Dudich on this topic that is, Fantastic. Mm. And, and argues that exact point. And mm. it's like, if you start looking at, you can't lose 
Like you can't lose if you have that mindset, mm. right? And even when you feel like you're losing, you're actually winning. Which is the most beautiful thing. The the quote that comes to my mind is you shared that story, which I loved. Jim Detmer is this author. He uh, He's older and wiser and has tons of gray hair and is just an amazing writer. And he uses this phrase that sounds really similar. But he's like, hey, there's a field beyond right and wrong and win and lose. And I'd love to meet you there. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, and he was sharing his own, like, man, when I'm in a healthy, grounded, true self place, I'm in this field that I'm detached from the wins and losses and the and the attaboys and attagirls. And um yeah, I'd like to I would like to meet him there too. Uh last thing, book. You've mentioned a few. Um your side note, your year in your team's year end recap and the the as like one writer to another and a and a team full of them in your world. Like you guys publish beautiful work mm, <laughs> and it's really helpful especially for small um uh loosely functioning disasters like mine so thank yeah. you uh in that year-end recap you shared your favorite or most impactful book of the year which was unreasonable hospitality yeah our entire team is reading that oh really and it set us on this interesting path we're calling the particular project oh cool um where we're defining with like and and this is my own leadership um, stuff that I've, I've, I've walked into because I have not done a good job of, but to share specific expectation and to get things out of my brain into a document. So it's like, Oh, Hey, how come like, cause when it's unspoken, I resent it then it's like, well, why didn't we greet her at the door? Why did we not have water on the table? Or yeah. how come there was a typo on page seven on the 14th yeah. bullet? Right. And it's all these unsaids that then I end up which is again back it's a reflection of my own dysfunction sure. um so we're walking we i read that book listened to it actually and then walked through this like oh it's time for us to like spell out our steps of service okay. <laughs> and it's been a it's been a beautiful work and we we're including everyone yeah. so the long question why that book and why did it matter to you or meaning was it meaningful to you yeah so it was it was uh, recommended by a friend and um, actually, a guy I mentioned before, John Marsh, mm. and you know he is one of the best minds in hospitality, mm. unbelievable hospitality mind. He was like, "Hey, this lit my world on fire. It's awesome." Mm. And and the the background of the book, just to to give a little teaser, is um, Will and its co-founder um, basically took Eleven Madison mm. Park, which was um, a Danny Meyer restaurant. They took it to number one restaurant in the world through this kind of crazy journey. It, it went from like a a decent middling. A Manhattan-based mm. um, kind of special night out place to l- literally people were flying in from around the world to, to eat at this restaurant. It's that good. And um, to see excellence, I think I think the thing in the book for me was to see excellence applied to relationship. And that's really what hospitality is. It's, a, it's, a, it's mm. making people feel a way to set an environment mm. that's deeply thoughtful about who they are who you want them to be and making them the best versions of themselves. Mm. So, you know, we put on this event called Capital Camp every year here in Columbia where we had 400 investors from 16 countries flying from around the world. And it's a blowout three day. Uh, it's, it's you know, the, the term unconference now doesn't really mean anything, but it's it's mm. literally the thing that my myself and my co-founder, mm. Patrick O'Shaughnessy, wanted to see in the world. It's just, mm. the joke is that I'm running a food and wine festival and he's running an investing conference. <laughs> and 
Sweet. Um, my, my, my hope is that, Sweet. that the, the ticket price is worth it if you don't have a single great investing conversation in the mm. entire time just because mm. the fun and the food and the drinks, everything's just so mm. extravagant. So I have a heart for hospitality. That's a part of mm. you know my love language is um, showing people hospitality. Mm. And when I read Will's book, um, it just really struck me the thoughtfulness and excellence about how to nudge people into becoming mm. better versions of themselves. Mm. And I actually got an opportunity, um, I reached out to Will and and just, you know, I have this uh, nasty habit of reaching out to authors after I read their read their books. And uh, <laughs> On Twitter or what? what uh, you... No, over email. I've okay. had their email. Okay. Or I, I mean, maybe yeah, on yeah. Twitter, whatever it was. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I just kind of ping them and, and say, you know, I typically tell them what I what I really loved about mm. it and then maybe where they could improve to. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I'd always do it respectfully. Yeah, you yeah. Know, just like, hey, you know. Um, anyway, and Will and I actually got a chance to uh, to have a conversation. Hopefully, we'll have dinner here here soon. And it's um, awesome. Just really be able to talk about what hospitality looks like in my world, in my setting. Mm. And I thought it was so interesting the way he comes about it. Is again just it's it's a little picture of what I think how God treats us. Right? It is is like mm. a, it's an imaging of that in that you think about the person first and you think about what's the thing that's going to delight them. Hmm. What's the thing that's going to make them feel loved and seen hmm. and appreciated and known. And then you work backwards of what's possible, right? Hmm. So the first step is to throw out things that maybe seem unreasonable, hence hmm. unreasonable hmm. hospitality. That then when you actually go back and think hmm. through the mechanisms of how you can make that work, they become a lot more reasonable. Hmm. And so, I would encourage anyone pick up the book. It's a great um, book. I think I think it'll spark a lot of conversations. I I have a you know the test for me of a good book is like how often am I underlining, circling, how much marginalia is there, um, and that book you know I was a high engagement book mm. for me um, because it kept sparking things that I was like how could we be the best hospitality not mm. just for Capital Camp because I think that's actually pretty straightforward right mm. like how you throw events. You know, combination of food, music, mm. conversations. How do you set the tone? You know, all those things. How do you, how you organize rooms? But private equity is a little bit different and and mm. much more difficult. And like, what is having the best hospitality in the history of private equity look like? Mm. And and by the way, I think that the first thing you can go to is okay, what does hospitality for investors look like? Okay, well that's one audience. But what does hospitality look like for your vendors? Mm. What does hospitality look like for your staff? What, I mean. Can you apply that that idea mm. of hospitality across every stakeholder group, the communities you're in, mm. potentially even regulators? Like, mm. what is what is great hospitality to mm. regulators look like? <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but you know, when you start pushing those boundaries and thinking mm. through it, it makes the 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 sort of the no brainer stuff become no brainer. And I think that you know the idea of like mm. greeting people, putting water on the table, like you mm. know, it's pretty rare actually mm. in the business world to even do that type of mm. stuff. But that stuff becomes like the table That's stakes. Right. That's right if you're thinking way far down the road on this other stuff. So I'm just excited. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for Will, um, obviously sharing a lot of his uh, wisdom and um, what a neat guy. It's what really what a, well, I'm so jealous and inspired by your story. It's awesome. Um, one tiny little example. We've got this young guy, Brett, on our team, newest guy in the building. And he's got a client, a roofing client, and the VP of marketing um, is the daughter of the original founder, Okay. And she is the, she, she will, you'll, you'll look at their business at some point. They're one wildly successful, doing great. And anyhow, she 
is raising young kids and loves Dr. Pepper. Mm. And Brett knew it. Brett knew like, oh, I've seen Jen rocking the big quick trip cup in meetings. And she always talks about her Dr. Pepper. And she was sick and missed a physical meeting. And so he dropped off a six pack of Dr. Pepper. Mm. She like texted him late one night. She was like, kids just got in bed. This is my power through. Mm. And it's like, dude, that's it. Like, that's it. Like that, those little... Because it's not about the Dr. Pepper, though. No. Can, we say, can we say that, though? It's, 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 it's about that she feels <clears throat> seen and known. 100%. And how And often, you paid attention to me. Yeah, how often, though, do we do we not see each other? Hmm. Like, how often are we so in our own heads hmm. that we don't notice the things about each hmm. other? Hmm. And I think that's the key, is hospitality is not complicated. It's, you know, hmm. he, he makes a that's distinction right. in the book between luxury and hospitality. Luxury is just paying more. It's more hmm. expensive. Hmm. Hospitality oftentimes isn't expensive. Hmm. It's just the little things to know, okay, what do they love? How can mm. I make them feel more more accepted? Mm. How can I make them feel more seen and known? That's, so good. that's the basis of hospitality. So good. Yeah. Last one before we wrap, True. and the heaviest one, Justin Garrett sends in, why is Justin Garrett your eighth favorite pastor of the United States? <laughs> <laughs> Man, J-Lo, uh, he, he, I, I love that guy. Um, so for, for everybody who's listening, I don't know if it's going to make it in the, in the final cut, but uh, Justin used to be a pastor here at the church I'm, I'm a part of here in Columbia and mm. um, got all entrepreneurial and, and moved mm. his family to Kansas City and, and uh, opened up a church there and just just proud of the guy. He is amazing. He, he, a legit question from him, though, is... What's more true? You're a Christian who happens to be an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur who happens to be a Christian? What would it look like to be the opposite of what you tend to be? Hmm. <laughs> very J-Lo. Man, that's very J-Lo. <laughs> um, gosh, I don't even know how to I don't even know how to start, start to answer that. I think you already did. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the basis of my identity I, I is definitely, yeah. um, you know, I'm a, I'm a son of the Most High King. Um, and, and this idea of sonship, by the way, it may not be mm. obvious, you know, there's two ways to live, right? There's, you can live as an orphan or you can live as a son, right? An adopted mm. son. And when I'm in my false self, I'm, I'm mm. living as an orphan. Mm. It's cold. It's lonely. I need to fend for myself. I need to protect myself. No so one's there to care for you either. Daggers out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, when, when I'm living as a son, you know, it, it makes everything brighter. Mm. And it, it, it is... It is the best feeling in the world. Mm. Like, I don't know how else to say it. Um, you know, Paul talks about the peace that surpasses all understanding. Mm. And for the longest time, I was like, man, I want that, you know. Mm. And and I still don't have it all the time, but it's mm. like more and more. That peace comes from this closeness. And, and it's not just, I mean, God's always here. God's mm. always close to us. It's not like if there's any distance. It's not a God feel, problem. It's not a God yeah. problem, right? <laughs> right. It's, it's ultimately... Mm. The only way you can gain true peace, true rest, is is through surrender, which is the most mm. upside down, nonsensical. Mm. It's, it's anti-American. Down, yeah, it's, yeah, it's sort of. Yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's the upside down kingdom. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say I'm I'm everything everything below that line of being a mm. son of the Most High King comes second, and mm. um, and thankfully it's it's not. It's this weird thing. I mean, Jesus talks about this. He said, you know, if you mm. strive for the things of the world, you'll end up without if you strive for me then i'll throw in everything else right (laughs) and i feel like that's the that's the way i look Mm. at that which is like Mm. i'm a far better operator Mm. i'm a far better business person entrepreneur Mm. because i'm a believer Mm. it's good man all right here we go final five yep you got a business and family to tend to favorite t-shirt 
Man, I, know, I know you're a sharply dressed fella, so a t-shirt. A sharply dressed fella. I mean, I've got jeans on. And <laughs> You've some got old loafers. any loafers. I've got, I've got old loafers on, man. These are these are my. You know, I wear these. So I'm a comfort guy, and so my favorite t-shirt. This is gonna sound. I don't know. This is gonna sound probably funny, but I'm to be honest. Like I, I for some reason, Lululemon fits my mm. body, mm. and so I have. I didn't like, strike you as a Lulu I have, guy, I have like but I'm into it. Twenty-five or thirty Lululemon into t-shirts. It. Good that, for you. That they just fit. They feel great. So like, I don't care what the brand is. Mm-hmm. Like, if, if I could find a, a Hanes T-shirt that fit great, that felt great, I would wear <laughs> they that. Don't. But like, I just. So I just. I'm, I'm pure comfort. I wear these mm-hmm. loafers not because they're fancy at all, but be, because they you like, slip they, them they, on. They feel great, and I can <laughs> slip them on and off. Um, I wear these jeans. I think you know they have a hole in the crotch of these things. I've worn them so much. Um, I just, I, I, you know, my, my wife jokes, like she literally has to force me to go shopping like once every two years. That's awesome. So like whatever the opposite of fashion is, I like, I'm, I'm probably like a, like a time capsule of fashion. So yes, my favorite t-shirt, my, my, my Lulu, Lululemon Let's workout, go. workout shirts. Let's go. Favorite place on earth? Um, my home. Oh, it's a good place. Yeah, man. Hmm. I would just say, um, there, there is, there is a joy that I get to come home to oh, that man. is, is just it's indescribable. I couldn't have imagined. I didn't want to have children mm. when we first got married. I thought children were going to be in position. Mm. Um, Don't and, impede me from doing the thing. Right. Well, it's, it depends on what your goals are, yeah. right? And again, God works through my mm. terrible motives to give me the thing I would have asked for had I known what he knows. Mm. And so, you know, I get to go home now, um, not without problems, not mm. without drama, not without... Um, all the challenges that you would you would expect but being able to make dinner with my wife have a great conversation have the girls running around Mm. screaming hugging you know all the Mm. things and then being able to curl up with them hold them Mm. watch a movie hang out like it's it's a good spot man it is the best place in the world Mm. it's such a wonderful it's a 40 year old answer too because it's mine, man, like 30, 20s and 30s, like, oh, let's go to the thing or go to an event yeah. or go to, I want to be gone or go on vacation. It's like, no, I just, can I be home where yeah. it's quiet and yeah. where all the people that I love are? Yeah. Uh, what would you do right now if you weren't afraid? Um, I'd probably apologize to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's there's a number of people that I'm in, I'm embarrassed to apologize to them. Me too. And um, someday I hope I have the courage to apologize mm. to them. Mm. But I'm not there yet. Me too, bro. No. Uh, we use this little phrase a lot in our world: "Human first. What's human first mean to you? Uh, treating them made in the image of God. Mm. Like why why are people worth something? I mean, mm. it, look at you. If you don't believe there's a God, it's really hard to to originate human rights. It's really hard to um, even understand what people first means because, I mean, hmm. you know, there, there's uh, a professor, uh, Alex Rosen from Duke, who has this like, you know, sort of like the atheist creed, right? And he's like, there is no meaning. There is no morality. There is no, I mean, it's like, hmm. it's like nothing, right? There's no beauty. So... Hmm. What does people first mean? People first means I I believe that um, as C.S. Lewis said that if I really saw people for who they really were, I'd be tempted to fall down and worship them. Mm. And like if you can keep that, even the person who's on the other side of a contract negotiation and who's driving you crazy and playing Mm. all kinds of games and not acting the way you want to act, 
you can keep that in your mind, which is very <laughs> difficult, and I fail at almost all the time. Um, mm. That's that's the ticket. That's good, man. The good news is we won't probably be remembered in 300 years, but for a while, what do you want to be remembered for? Hmm. Yeah, I uh, I want to be, I think, most remembered for a person who loved well. Mm. Um, I've experienced... You know some really fabulously wealthy people. You know I've gotten to, I've gotten to sit with umpteen billionaires mm. and dine with them and and man they've got cool stories. <laughs> billionaires have really cool stories. Um, I think that's actually what they're what they're capturing for the most part is uh, yeah. like the the the, the uh, currency of billionaires seems to be like the stories that they can tell. Mm. Um, that's cool. That's and, the next podcast. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I would say the most of the billionaires I've met though would not be known for the people who know them best would like them least. Hmm. And it's not just billionaires. There's a lot of people who I think chase worldly success, whatever that worldly success Hmm. looks like that ultimately it blinds them to Hmm. the thing that they've lost the plot. Hmm. And, and for me, I mean, I lose the plot all the time, but ultimately when I, when I am in my right mind, when I've not lost the plot, um, I, I just want to encourage people mm. and love them and reflect the love of God to them. So, I mean, mm. that's what I want to be known for. I, I've got a long ways to go, <laughs> long ways to go. And you're doing the work and it's encouraging, dude. Right. It reminds me of your, I think it's your friend, Morgan Housel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he intro well, calling my friend. Okay. He's my, he's my, Fake Twitter nemesis. Yeah, he's a great friend of mine. <laughs> okay, got yes. it. Okay. Yes. Deep friend. Yes. Um, but he starts his book, Psychology of Money, with a story like that, where yep. he's like overhearing a very wealthy, very well-known, very world-class, famous guy talk about how depressed and empty and void his purpose was, and it just haunted him and set him on this interesting path. Yep. Once you, <laughs> once you, if you're around people who have reached mountaintops, mm. worldly mountaintops, you will almost exclusively, um, unless they're trying to sell you something, mm. <laughs> you will almost exclusively hear them say the same thing. Mm. Brent, thanks for sharing, man. I feel at home here in your cozy little studio. I'm grateful for your time, man. And, um, more than that, grateful for your generosity of spirit and the ways that you would you would share and connect to our human experience around where we are, what we've gone through, and it's not uh, not lost on me that you are um, changing and helping a lot of people, man. I'm really thankful for you. No, thankful for you too. Thanks for driving in and hanging out, dude. Let's go. I'm gonna hit Panera on the way home. <laughs> <laughs> See you, brother. Part of my soul is lost. <laughs> okay.